What's up, sports fans? It's time for Let Me Speak. I'm Joe Braverman, and on this show, we discuss the big news in the world of sports as heard from me, myself, and I. Here's what we'll be talking about this week. With a battle between the NFC's top two teams, was there any change at the top of this week's NFL Power Rankings? Plus, did the committee pick the right four teams in the college football playoff? And the biggest issues regarding the NBA's in-season tournament. You're listening to episode 96 of Let Me Speak. Let's get it started. Fire up the intro. Let Me Speak. Hey, hey, everybody, coming at you here on Tuesday, December 5th, 2023 for the 96th edition of Let Me Speak. Right off the top, as I always do, I thank you so much for tuning this in. And I'm just getting, I'm getting so antsy. We are so close to episode 100 and we do have some big news once we get to that uh, 100 slot. So, so stay tuned for that. Uh, el- elsewhere, we are in the home stretch of 2023, and we'll be doing a ton of reflecting as uh, we get closer and closer and we get uh, these episodes going out. But I got to tell you, it just feels like this year has been flying by, and I mean flying by. I mean, the, the fact that we can return to this ep- to this podcast and create keep creating these episodes is, is so unreal. So I thank everyone for the support, and we are almost there. Once we do 96, we got 97, 98, 99, and then boom, we're four episodes away after today. Four episodes away from 100. So get excited, folks. Get, get excited. And get that Christmas shopping done early. It is chaos right now. Going to uh, local stores, trying to find some Christmas gifts. It is, the traffic is insane. The The people looking and shopping is just, I I like to get it done sooner rather than later. Because um, it it just it it's a good clear conscience once you get that out of the way. Um, but of course, we're not here to talk about Christmas shopping or anything like that. We're here to talk sports, and I think now that baseball seasons come to an end, we're still sort of in the beginning of the NBA and the NHL. I think all eyes are on football right now, both in the pro game and the college game. We'll get to the college football playoff in our next segment, but as we always do. To start our shows, we look at our top 10 and our bottom 10 in the NFL rankings. These are the power 10 power rankings and the bottom 10 bottom rankings. So we start with the top 10 as always. And I got to tell you, it felt like there had to be a ton of movement going around. Um, But I finally I came to the decision because there are still some teams, you know, just some honorable mentions right here. The Colts at seven and five. I still can't put them in because I don't really trust them. Same thing with the Browns and the Steelers. You know, those two are completely different stories right now. But oddly enough, the number 10 team that I have in the top 10 in our power rankings is the Green Bay Packers. I just think not necessarily because of the six and six record. And yes, they have turned a corner, but I just can't ignore the fact that in consecutive weeks, they have beaten the Lions and the Chiefs who are perennial playoff contenders. So I have to, I I can't look away from that. I just can't. It'd be one thing if they turned it around, but the fact that in consecutive weeks, they beat Detroit, they beat Kansas City, and yes, they might've gotten some help with a phantom pass interference that wasn't called against the Chiefs. But still, the fact that they were even competitive compared to what happened at the beginning of the year. I mean, I was one of those people that wasn't necessarily writing off Jordan Love, but uh, the arrow was pointing way, way down. But now here he is against one of the best defenses in the league in the Chiefs. He goes 25 of 36. He throws three touchdowns, nearly 270 yards. And keep in mind, during these three-game winning streaks, uh, this three-game winning streak, he's got eight touchdowns and zero picks. That was the big thing that was hindering Jordan Love, was just making these really bad mistakes. And that's why I thought, he needed a healthy Aaron Jones and a healthy A.J. Dillon, both of them running premierly 
together, but they didn't have Jones last uh, for the last two weeks, and A.J. Dillon was able to hold his own, and Jordan Love is just somehow creating this magic, finding Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, just uh, Jaden Reed, just to name a few. I, I think the Packers are due for a playoff spot, considering how wide the NFC is. Because of how open it is, the Packers can just slide right in there. Because it's basically you have your division leaders, but then it's everyone else after that. So it's pretty much wide open, and it's right there for Green Bay. Because not only did they take these big victories, now they've got a Monday night game against the Giants, which should be a victory. I say should very slightly. Um, But I'm back on the Packers train. I'm back on it, and I'm back on the Jordan Love hype. You know, is he, as of right now, the equivalent of Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers who preceded him? No. But you can at least say for now that the Packers made a good selection in Jordan Love um, in terms of replacing Aaron Rodgers. That's another story. But the quarterback who they got, who they thought could uh, replace Aaron Rodgers, is right now the best option for Green Bay. So that's why the Packers, to me, are at number 10. Two big wins in a row in the midst of a three-game winning streak. I got to put them there. Uh, number nine, I had to make a movement on this. If you remember last week, I had uh, Houston at 10 and Denver at nine. Obviously, the two played each other. So Houston won that game, which means I have to put them at number nine. Houston just seems to be growing before our very eyes. And we spent so much time talking about offensively C.J. Stroud, what he's been able to do in his rookie year, the fact that he has already command of this offense. But how about defensively? The fact of Jimmy Ward uh, and the rest of the Texans' defense picking off Russell Wilson three times, including that game winner in the end zone as Denver was driving. I'm very impressed with what uh, the Texans have constructed. The question, though, for me, obviously I didn't think that they were going to be huge playoff contenders, even with a healthy squad. But now Tank Dell, who fractured his leg, he's done for the year. That's a big hit. That's CJ Stroud's favorite target. So that means you need more from Nico Collins. You need Dalton Schultz to be healthy. You got these other guys like Noah Brown and Robert Woods. They're going to have to take on much bigger roles. Does it change the traje trajectory of what I thought uh, the Texans were going to be? No. I thought they could make the playoffs, maybe not go a long way but I thought they could at least make it uh, considering, again, wide open. It just seems like everywhere is wide open. So it doesn't really change anything for me um, regarding what I think the season outcome could be. Because, I mean, there's no doubt that D'Amico Ryan's coach of the year, CJ Stroud, rookie of the year, they should both be unanimous. Um, and if they get to the playoffs, it should definitely be, be unanimous. But I don't see, I don't, I don't see any other big steps for them to make. I, I really don't just make the playoffs and whatever happens happens. You know, they're, they're basically playing with house money if they can continue to win these games and get themselves to the postseason. So that's where I'm at with Houston uh, at number nine at number eight. I'm going to leave the Jacksonville Jaguars here at eight and four, obviously, you know, the overtime loss to the Bengals, Monday night football, blah, 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 blah. That doesn't matter. The biggest concern right now is Trevor Lawrence. And what we're hearing from his head coach, Doug Peterson, high ankle sprain, which if you look at that play and the reaction from Trevor Lawrence, best case scenario, best case scenario that it was a high ankle sprain. That could have been a, a something with the knee, something way worse. I was watching in real time and I literally had my jaw drop. I was like, oh, no, because this is just the year of the injuries, which I absolutely hate. I mean, you've got. Uh, Watson, Burrow, Rogers, uh, just a bunch, a bunch of them. You could, you could write an essay on all the quarterback injuries. And, you know, the good thing for Jacksonville is that they have themselves in a good spot. They're at eight and four right now. I mean, the division is no longer a runaway like it used to be in the past, but I think they've set themselves up at least for a playoff spot. And plus with CJ Beathard coming in, I think, with the system that Doug Peterson has offensively, I think he's going to be fine. Obviously, he doesn't have the talent of a Trevor Lawrence, but essentially what you want from your backup is someone who can make it seem like there are no changes at all. I mean, yes, we already know that when Lawrence is healthy, Trevor Lawrence is going to be the quarterback. But if Beathard can 
I mean, I don't know how long it, a high ankle sprain could take for Trevor Lawrence. Uh, we know next week it's the Browns. Uh, they'll be in Cleveland. I don't have the rest of the schedule memorized, but ultimately I still am not too concerned about Jacksonville maybe losing their playoff spot. It just depends on how long Trevor Lawrence might be out. I mean, looking at just high ankle sprains of the past, I know uh, Mac Jones was out two weeks, I want to say, roughly three, you know, that disaster with the Bears. Um, Ramondre Stevenson's going to miss a couple of weeks. Um, so obviously I'm not a doctor. I'm not a doctor and I can't tell you, oh, this is when he'll be back. But I think Trevor, depending on how things go, they don't have to rush Trevor Lawrence back. Obviously you'd like to get him back, but as long as they can stay on top of the division, because I think the only challenge right now is Houston. I already mentioned Indy. I don't trust them and Gardner Minshew to really rally and take, take things back over again. So I think with the way Jacksonville started, I think they're in a good spot. And I think they can benefit from a loss or two, um, depending on what happens behind them in the division. So hopefully Trevor Lawrence can get back healthy and at 100%. Because I'd like to see the Jaguars make a playoff run. I, I really would for that one. Uh, number seven, I'm going to keep the Lions right here. Um, I got to tell you, you know, yes, they, they've won two of their last three games, but... What I've seen in the last three weeks shows me that Detroit is streaking in the wrong way. Because, I mean, you look at what has gone on. They needed a last-minute comeback against the Chicago Bears, a last-minute comeback the week before against the Chargers. Then on Thanksgiving, they lose to the Packers. Now in this game, they led 21-0 early on. It should have been a runaway. But the fact is, they only won by five. And they were up three touchdowns for... A majority of that game, I would say. 33-28 was the final score. And it's kind of like a reverse from last season. I mentioned it briefly last week. But you remember last year, they started really slow. I think it was like 1-6 and six or 1-7, and seven, something like that. And then they went on a great run, nearly made the playoffs. Now this year, it's basically the reverse. They started out really, really strong. And now they're kind of streaking a little bit in the worst way. Um, so really, the the big thing that I'm looking at, um, as as I say, Jared Goff and his mistakes and his interceptions, got to control that. But also the pass rush, I think, needs to get much much better. You got to keep in mind that 25 sacks from the team this year is seventh worst in football. And I made a big proclamation after the opening game against Kansas City that Aiden Hutchinson was going to be an All Pro. Well, I watch these Lions games and I barely see him making any kind of huge impact, no big sack now and again. I think he's got to be much more effective because you have one big, strong pass rusher out there that's going to help everyone else on the defensive uh, side of the ball, the, the D-line and the linebackers. So pass rush, pass rush, pass rush is the biggest thing, at least defensively for Detroit. They got to work on that. And maybe they can fix it when they play in Chicago against the Bears this week. Who knows? But if the Lions don't have another big blowout win like uh, we saw at the beginning of the year, then I'll be concerned. Because right now, um, yes, they are near the top of the NFC, but they're going backwards, at least in my eyes. They're going backwards. Um, a team that's not going backwards, which I was happy to see, was the Dolphins, and that's who I'm going to put at number six as, you know, yes, it was the Commanders. Yes, they're a very bad team, but Miami did look like their old selves in a 45-15 to 15 win. You got to remember, this was a team regularly putting up like 400 yards of offense. Um, the big key that I saw was having Devin Achain, Achain back, uh, team him up with Raheem Mostert in the backfield. That unleashes everything. It unleashes the speed of Tyreek Hill, the route running of Jalen Waddle. Uh, Tua and his scrambling ability, I think that just resets it when you have those two guys running effectively. And then defensively, you know, everyone looks at like Tua and Tyreek, all those guys, but don't forget how loaded defensively Miami is. I mean, you had Van Ginkle with the pick six. You have two, maybe the best corners in the game, Jalen Ramsey, Zayvon Howard. Um, they, they have a really good defensive core. I know they lost Jalen Phillips on Black Friday. Um, but this is still, again, it's all about potential. And until, I'm, I'm a fan of what Miami is doing. But 
They need to start winning these winnable games. Um, the, these games where they're winning, they're playing more competitive teams is what I'm trying to say, because they still have a really bad record. I don't think they've won one game uh, with a team that's 500 or better. So I'm not going to get any more answers when they play Monday night uh, at home against the Titans because the Titans are four and eight and bad. I need to see them actually win some games against playoff teams. I really do playoff teams, playoff contenders. I want to see that. I, I really do. Because we can we can sit here and say we're a fan, but they just haven't done it in against postseason teams. And that can give you more confidence of, oh, that's a team that can definitely go on a playoff run. Because ultimately, I could see the Dolphins getting uh, the AFC East crown, but they could be bounced if they're not the number one seed and they don't get that by, you know, because they haven't faced some really good playoff teams. So it's so a wait and see once again for Miami. And I think that's just what it's going to be all year long is when it, because I think their division is a runaway. I don't think Buffalo is going to catch them at all. They're going to win that division. If they don't get that number one seed, depending on who they play, I would take, uh, I wouldn't take Miami in that one just because they haven't played any high caliber teams. Um, As we get into the top five here, I'm going to put Dallas on this one. Uh, Thursday night win over the Seahawks, 41 to 35. And I got to say, this has probably been the best stretch of football in Dak Prescott's career so far in these four games that they've all won in a row. He's thrown 13 touchdowns and only one interception. And you got to keep in mind that the offense is averaging 42 points a game in these games. Now I'm almost sold. I'm almost there because as I keep saying week after week after week, this is what Dallas does. They get the big record. And then when they get to the playoffs, they seem to just choke it away. I mean, I can't even tell you the last time they went to a conference championship game. Um, but I'm almost there. I think this week probably gave me like a 5% increase on the believability. Um, I really, when they get to the playoffs is when like that number will start to increase much more. Um, what could help is next week when they play at home against the Eagles. If they can win that game, that's going to be, it's not only huge because they will have uh, tied the Eagles in the record in the record wise. Um, I don't know about the tie breaks or anything like that. So like the division is still within reach. Um, but if they can win that game, it'll start to silence some of the doubters. Some of the doubters might have to start taking Dallas seriously. Um, defensively though, I don't know if they can stop the Eagles. I mean, the fact that they allowed over 400 yards to, a Seattle offense that has been struggling a little bit. Uh, Geno Smith, who's been struggling, had 330 yards of passing, threw three touchdowns. So that that concerns me a little bit. Um, but it would be a step in the right direction if they can knock off the Eagles and get more people believing, uh, at least in that side of things. Number four, I'm going to stick with the Ravens here as they were just sitting idle on a bye week. Nothing really new, at least for me to change. I, I still think they're a good offense, but it's all about Lamar Jackson's arm and he can't be the leading guy uh, in the running attack. It's got to be one of those running backs like a Mitchell or a Gus Edwards. So just shortly on Ravens, just because they were on a bye, they didn't do nothing for me because they uh, didn't have a game, but um, that could change uh, with whatever result they have against the Rams this week. Number three, this one, I was personally surprised that I had to put them here but I put the Eagles here. They were at number one, and now they're at number three to me because they looked not lifeless against the Niners, but it was just a runaway for San Francisco. San Fran just turned Philly into a one-dimensional team, which obviously doesn't work because the offense is based on the run game and these different run plays that they have. Um, The fact is they only rushed for 46 yards. And it made Jalen Hurts just throw the ball a little bit more. And considering the D-line that the Niners have, Hurts wasn't able to be that effective. He had to throw it 45 times, and he only completed 26 of them. Now, the key that's the key, is that if you shut down the run, the rest of the plays, I, I think it turns, as I said, it turns Philly one-dimensional, and that's where the drop-off, at least for me, begins. That if they're not running the ball effectively like yes they can have these brotherly shelf plays 
but I'm talking like these big chunk plays, like with uh, DeAndre Swift or a quarterback draw with uh, Jalen Hurts. If they can't do that effectively, then they're kind of in trouble, at least on the passing attack. Because as I said last week, Jalen Hurts and his arm has really struggled recently, even though they have A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. Yes, they can make those big plays like in the red zone, but in terms of like having to move the ball down the field, um, doing it with his arm is a little bit tricky, or it has been tricky in these last couple of weeks. And as I keep saying, this is not the same dominant team that we saw last year. Now, I will have great concerns if they drop uh, this Sunday night game to the Cowboys um, in Dallas, because not only do that is their division chances in danger, um, but it just shows me that against these big time teams, you know, squeaking out over Kansas City, getting blown out by San Fran, and then a loss to the Cowboys. That shows me like there might be some concern uh in Philly when they have to make a big playoff run. You know, that that's just me though. So they're still in the top three, but it obviously was not a great Sunday uh in the land of uh in the city of brotherly love. Uh number two, no movement here despite the loss. I put the Chiefs right here. Uh, losing to the Packers, um, just something about the offense. I, it just doesn't look in sync like they normally are. I mean, you got Pat Mahomes only throwing for 210 yards. You have another pick, um, and he, you can sort of see that he's trying to trust his receivers. But, I mean, Rasheed Rice had eight catches. He normally doesn't have that much. And then Travis Kelsey was the next closest one with four. Um, but... You need much more than that. You need more from MVS. You need more from Sky Moore, Justin Watson, just to name a few. Now, it is a good sign to see Isaiah Pacheco rush for 110 yards, and his ejection probably didn't do much on that last drive, you know, throwing a uh, punch or whatever. But offensively, this is the first time I've said this in a very long time, probably the first time in the Patrick Mahomes era. I'm concerned about the offense. I am concerned with a Patrick Mahomes-led offense. Because when it comes to these sort of big-time plays, outside of Travis Kelsey, who else can you really trust to make these big plays? Right now, you can't say any of them. Because not only against Detroit and against Philly, these receivers drop just dimes of passes from Mahomes. And as I said last week, with Travis Kelsey not being as effective of a tight end as he once was, yes, he's still among the best tight ends of the game, but in terms of a pass catcher, like he's been struggling recently. He's not putting up the same Kelsey numbers that we have seen uh, for years in the past. So offensively, that's a big concern for me. Now, I think the key is to get that number one seed. I still think they'll at least make conference championship. I know that for a fact. But if we're talking Super Bowl expectations, that's a concern. The fact that the offense is struggling that the way they are. Um, and then the number one, this is a no-brainer right here. The fact that the Niners absolutely destroyed the team with the best record in football, 42-19. to 19. I'm officially going to say it right here. San Francisco, 100% back to the top spot in the NFL. I don't care if they have the best record or not. This is the best team in football. And you kind of forget because they had that three-game losing streak. But you got to remember, that three-game losing streak was without Debo Samuel, number one, and number two, Trent Williams. Trent Williams is because no one on the offensive line gets a ton of recognition, but he's the best left tackle in football. You have him on the field. Brock Purdy has a ton of room to work with, with all the weapons that he have. And you forget about Debo as well, um, considering that he had three touchdowns on the day against Philly. He caught for over 115. He rushed for an extra 22. This, this is a team that is incredibly dangerous, incredibly dangerous. And while I was not panicked over that little three-game losing streak, I, I raised an eyebrow at it just, just a little bit. I raised an eyebrow. I wasn't fully going to mail them in and be like, oh, their season's over. They won. They lost three straight. What are we going to do? I wasn't that concerned. But now that they're on this roll, you know, that they blew out Jacksonville, now they blow out Philly. I'm firmly on the belief that this is the best team in football, and I would be very surprised uh, if, without an injury, this team does not make uh, the Super Bowl. 
that that's how I stand on San Francisco. That's how much of a believer I am in this Niners team. Um, but yeah, there you go. A lot of movement at the top, just swapping those two NFC teams with each other. But the bottom 10 is really where it gets entertaining. And I got to unleash uh, number 10. We're going to go to the Vikings on this one. I, again, they're at six and six, but just the, the spot that they're in, I probably would have put the Bengals here if they had lost the game uh, last night against Jacksonville. Um, but they were able to come through and win and they still have the talents. I want to see what Minnesota does now that Justin Jefferson is going to be back. How much of a difference is he going to make? Honestly, I don't think he's going to make that much of a difference because whether it's this uh, rookie Hall or Joshua Dobbs, I don't think this Minnesota offense can put up a ton of points with either of those two at quarterback. Really, that's just my opinion. So Vikings don't move anywhere because they had the idle week at the bye. Who knows what they'll do in Las Vegas against the Raiders this week. Uh, number nine, I hate to leave them here because they did win their game, but Tampa uh, stays at uh, number nine at five and seven. Again, it's the Panthers. And I've talked about the Bucks in the past, but I just wanted to take this time to really appreciate Mike Evans. He's been one of the most underrated receivers uh, since he has been drafted. The fact that he now has 10 straight 1,000-yard seasons is absolutely unreal. And he was always getting outshined by other elite receivers, whether it be a Tyree kill or whether it be an Antonio Brown or um, a Justin Jefferson. Now just all these times. And he continues to be underrated. Think of the quarterbacks. He's caught in passes from Mike Glennon, McCown, Winston, Fitzpatrick, Mayfield, even Tom Brady. And people weren't giving him enough credit. It took Tom Brady for someone to actually recognize this guy and be like, Oh, he's a pretty good receiver. So I am appreciating Mike Evans at this spot for number nine. I'll start uh, trashing the Bucks next week, maybe when they lose to the Falcons because of the drop-off that they have. But for this week, I want to salute Mike Evans for an incredible feat that only Jerry Rice has even come, uh, has done the same thing too. I got to look at the stats on that one to see where that is. Um, but Bucks at number nine, congrats to Mike Evans for another thousand yard season. Number eight, we're going with the Titans on this one, losing in overtime to the Colts. And now Derrick Henry is gone with a concussion, and he was doing really, really good before he got hurt. 21 rushes, 102 yards, two touchdowns, and now Will Levis has to rely on Tajay Spears as his running back. Um, So the, the Titans' offense is in big trouble because really the only glimmer that they had was Derrick Henry and the running game. So if there's no Derrick Henry, I'm sorry, this offense just doesn't go anywhere because Will Levis is still young. He's still a young guy, and he still needs all the support that he can get. Quickly going now to number seven, Commanders. I already talked about him against uh, Miami, and I've talked about him week after week. They've already mailed in their season with trading away their two defensive guys. I'm still a fan of Sam Howe, and I think that offense just needs a little bit of work. It's defensively where they need the biggest adjustments um, because obviously they didn't see those two D linemen as the big ones, but uh, I'd look at the linebackers and look at the secondary to see if they can try and turn things around. Number six, we're going with the bears on this one, staying idle uh, on their bye week Again, big, big next couple of weeks for Justin Fields. Uh, if he does not perform well, Chicago could hold on to either a top, the top pick or the number two pick. Um, and get themselves one of these high prospect quarterbacks like a Caleb Williams or a Drake May. Um, it's going to be big. What can Justin Fields do? Because his, he's under a ton of pressure right now. He's got to play well. And ultimately, I think they got to win against the Lions at least to to get in a good spot. I, I really think they do. If a win, a win over the Lions could seal it uh, for Justin Fields and might be able to keep his job um, in Chicago. Into the top five, though, or bottom five, if you want to call it. Let's put the New York Jets here right now. The fact that they lost to the Falcons 13-8. to I'll just put it to you like this. Zach Wilson, Tim Boyle, Trevor Simeon. Enough said. <laughs> this is such a bad offense, no matter who you put out there. And honestly, even a one-legged Aaron Rodgers would probably be better. Now Tim Boyle has just been released. There's talks about putting Zach Wilson back in there, but it feels like you already pulled the plug with them. I mean, li just listen to these numbers. 260 yards per game, second worst in the league. 
169 pass yards per game, second worst in the league. 91 rush yards per game, fourth worst in the league. And they're only averaging 14 points a game, which is the third worst in the league. This offense will live and die with the quarterback. And a healthy Aaron Rodgers will fix it. Honestly, because of their chances, just hold him out. I don't even care if he has no chance at all. Hold him out. And I'm still, again, I'm not a believer that he's coming back, healthy or not, if he wants to play or not. Don't bring him back because this is a lost season for the New York Jets. It really is. Um, but staying in New York at number four, the Giants, uh, again, on their bye week, they're still going to stick with Tommy DeVito. Uh, again, just, I said it last week, the energy that he brought, he might not be good, but at least he's bringing energy and a spark. And the team seems to be rallying behind him. They, they really are. I mean, I'm not going to say that's going to lead to a Monday night win over the Packers, but at least they're having fun with uh, DeVito at the uh, at the end of this season. Because, the, again, the Giants have gone absolutely nowhere. Their offensive line stinks, and they don't have any weapons for whatever quarterback is in there to throw to. That's, that's how I am with the Giants. Number three, we're going to put the Cardinals here, getting a win over the Steelers in kind of a chaotic game, a couple of rain delays now and again, but... They won 24 to 10. James Conner came to life against his former team. Two touchdowns, 105 yards on 25 carries. The, the thing for Kyler Murray, at least for me, is all he did was get Trey McBride involved. Like he's got to get much more involved. And maybe that was the game plan that was uh, drawn up by Arizona was just to keep feeding the tight end, depending on the coverage. Um, but Kyler Murray is going to need a lot more than just his tight end to uh, be an effective offense. Moving on to number two, I think this one's a, a no-brainer right here. The Patriots losing six to nothing to the Chargers, and to the shock of no one, the quarterback change did nothing. I mean, at least Bailey Zappi didn't panic and throw a god-awful turnover like Mac Jones would, and it possibly could have been better if Ramondre Stevenson didn't suffer a high ankle sprain, but let's be honest. This is the worst team in the AFC and the second-worst team in football, in my opinion. They're just so, so bad, and we'll get into the weeds about the Patriots and let's get local, but... Luckily, they are not the be the worst team because that worst team, again, at the number one spot for what feels like an eternity, the Carolina Panthers. And they get the unfortunate honor of being the first team officially eliminated from the playoffs. And they were just so, so close. They had it. They were leading 10-7 over Tampa, and then they got it within three. But then it didn't happen. It just didn't happen. And similar to Levis, Bryce Young, had some support from the run game. Chuba Hubbard did great rushing for two touchdowns and over a hundred yards. Um, but let's just be honest. There's no direction for the Panthers, at least uh, in this season. Uh, that that's what it is uh, for me. No direction for the Panthers. So there you go. Bottom 10 Patriots, Panthers, two worst teams in football and in their respective conferences. So that's where we are in the NFL game. But coming up next, we're going to go to the college game because Everyone's talking about the final four that got released for the college football playoff. Did the committee get it right or did they get it wrong? So as I mentioned, the big story has been the college football playoff and the final four that was set. And this might be the most controversial uh, choice from the committee since the playoff was introduced almost a decade ago. Can't believe it's uh, been that long. But we have the final four set. It's Michigan, Washington, Texas, Alabama in that order. We've got Michigan and Alabama in the Rose Bowl, Washington and Texas in the Sugar Bowl. And that will take place on new year's day and my reaction to this is wow just absolute wow first off the fact that alabama knocked off georgia to begin with i did say last week that i wouldn't be shocked to see an alabama upset but to see them pull the upset and get themselves up into the top four i mean you got to keep in mind georgia's won the national title back-to-back -back years they've basically been undefeated for a good two and a half years um so to i i personally would not have put bama in there i know they're the sec champs and that that's sort of where my issue lies is 
you know, you heard, you know, Nick Saban and Kirby Smart. You even heard the uh, commissioner of the SEC basically being like, oh, it's criminal that there might be a playoff without the SEC. The SEC is the best football conference in the nation. And yeah, that might be true, but every conference or every team season, they, they can have a bad year. So what would one season be without someone from the SEC? Um, I I just can't. I'm shocked that Georgia fell out the way that they did. I thought they would have at least had consideration uh, for number four. And you also got to consider the fact that Texas beat Alabama in Alabama. So that, to me, would put them in the playoffs. So I don't have issues with Texas being in there. I mean, I feel bad for Florida State, though. I mean, at, at first, I was I, I was shocked that, you know, they were undefeated. They won the ACC. And yes, it's not the strongest conference out there. It might rank like fourth or whatever in terms of uh, conferences out there, maybe behind the SEC, the Big Ten, and then the Big 12. Um, but when you look at the way their team is constructed, I think the committee was looking at it from a big picture saying like, oh, we don't want a repeat of what happened when Georgia and TCU played for the national championship. It was a runaway for Georgia. If you remember, TCU had no shot in it. So maybe they don't want one of those again, because I think it should have been either number three or number four for uh, Florida state. And would they have gotten run over by Michigan or, and or Washington? I don't know, but from a big picture, the committee doesn't want to see a backup or a third string quarterback um, in in these sort of big nationally televised games um, against probably two of the top teams out there between Michigan and Washington. So I can see it from that standpoint in terms of, you know, on the on the year. I mean, if Jordan Travis was still there. That, then it would definitely be the case. But the fact is, he's not. And yes, they you know beat Louisville, and Louisville can be a tough defensive team now and again. Um, I, I just didn't agree, agree with Alabama being put in there over Florida State. If anything, I probably would have put Georgia up there. I probably would have put Ohio State in there. I think Ohio State needs a little bit more credit because, yes, they lost to Michigan, but Michigan is now the number one team uh, in the nation. So... I that's that's credible. I mean, we've seen now and again that Michigan and Ohio State, when those two play each other, sometimes they'll both get in. They'll both make I think they made it last year. Um uh between the two. Um I my memory's not that good, but I know there have been history, there's been times where two Big Ten teams have made it and they've played each other, like a Michigan and an Ohio State. So that that kind of shocked me. The fact it was just the committee's way of getting the SEC in because they need some good football and a powerhouse conference uh, like the SEC in there. So that that's sort of where I am on it. I wouldn't have put Alabama in. I like Michigan, Washington being the top two, obviously because they won their conference and they were power conferences. I'm okay with Texas because they beat Alabama and won their conference. It was it was just that fourth spot that you know I I don't I don't agree with Alabama. I don't agree with that because it's just it's the committee's way of sort of kissing up to the SEC, sort of caving to their demands. You know, what would it have changed like television ratings if there were no SEC teams in there? I don't know, but I just don't agree with it. I, I don't agree with it. I don't agree with Alabama being in there. And I, I've got connections to Alabama. I, my cousin went there. My sister's fiance went uh, has a relative that went there and goes there. I, I just don't agree with it. I don't agree with Alabama being in the Rose Bowl. Um, and, and now there's a possibility, <clears throat> excuse me, that they could get themselves to the national championship game, you know, unless Michigan can can put their foot on Alabama's throat and sort of run away with this thing. Um, that That's how I see. I, I think Washington can can knock off Texas. I really think they can. Um, I For a fan favor perspective, I'd be rooting for Michigan. I I I think that'd be a, a really interesting storyline, considering all the turmoil that Jim Harbaugh and the Wolverines have gone through, from the sign stealing to the illegal recruiting, et cetera, et cetera. So I'll be pulling for Michigan to uh, come away with the whole thing. But in terms of the top four rankings, 
not, I, I don't agree with number four. I, I just don't agree uh, with number four. But that's just the start of bowl season. I'm sure once we see all these bowl games, we'll start to get a better sense of, oh, maybe this team was best to be left out of the college football playoff. But uh, we're done with our football discussion, uh, at least for now. We're going to shift to the NBA, and of course the talk is about the in-season tournament. It's got its highs, but it certainly has had its lows. things are really picking up in the NBA, which is really hard to say before Christmas even comes around. Obviously, that has to do with the in-season tournament that's been going around in the NBA, and we're in the midst of the quarterfinals. We'll see the semis and the championship take place in Las Vegas. Now, the big story from last week was uh, because that was the end of the group play, at least stage of things, and there were some interesting interesting motives that we saw, um, specifically in the uh, Bulls and the Celtics when the starters got put back in when they were up 30 because the scoring differential had to uh, uh, be a tiebreaker, I guess. So the Celtics had to win by so much to win a group or whatever. And then you even heard in the post game like Drew Holiday saying, I don't like it, but I understand the rules. And that's issue number one with this in-season tournament is the fact that we learned – at the end of group play, that point differential was uh, a tiebreaker out there rather than just records themselves. The fact that they were a tiebreaker. I, I mean, for, well, first off, it, it as I said, it's silly that we found out about these rules now instead of like earlier on when they could have easily been described, anything like that. Um, I don't like point differential being a tiebreaker because as Drew Holiday said, it kind of takes away from the the respect of the game. You don't run up the score on your opponents. You're not intentionally hacking guys to build your lead. Um, so it's those little things that that sort of drive me and all these other players a, a little bit crazy. And they all have the same sentiment, like they don't like it um, that it has to be a tiebreaker. So i i was i was confused too when i was watching that game of like why are they fouling why is jason tatum and jalen brown coming up when they're up like 25 or whatever you know i i heard that the differential had to be 23 but i didn't know if anyone actually like really cared about that uh, that much but apparently joe Missoula did to uh put the starters in and he had to have a talk with billy donovan about uh oh we have to win by this much you know blah 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 so i mean the it doesn't, to me, seem like a good way to settle a tiebreaker. It, it really doesn't. Point differential and how much you win by, like, I understand you're trying to make it competitive, but that's not the way you do it. The way you would do it is, rather than do the point differential, you could go by overall record, you know, like where they are in the standings. So, like, the Celtics will win the group because they were the top team in the Eastern Conference. Uh, with their record at the time, I think was like 13 and four or uh, something like that. So that's how you determine the tiebreaker. Um, you know, unless this was a way to get all the teams involved, because like, if that was the case, then, you know, the, uh, the, the Pacers wouldn't have had a shot uh, to make it to where they are now in the semifinals because of their overall record. I, I don't know what that is, but the point differential can't be the tiebreaker. It has to be something else where you're not, getting in the way of what a traditional, you know, four quarter basketball game would look like, because ultimately, like if you asked anybody on the street and you said, Oh, your team is up 30. Um, would you put your starters back in? Would you run up the score and be like, no, absolutely not. So that's what Adam Silver has to address next. Um, I would also address changing the courts. Courts absolutely suck. They're so bad. They're sore, sore. They're a sore watch for the eyes. Um, I hate the bright colors. I, I don't, you know, I, I, I'm okay with like the, the specialty jerseys or anything like that, but not the courts. Absolutely not. Um, but I mean, to be fair with, with all of these issues and all of these changes, this is the first year that the NBA is doing this. So there's always going to be issues in the first year of anything, you know, in sports or not the first year of anything, 
will always run into its issues or its speed bumps, anything like that. So it's okay. It's good that it's happening now, at least in the first year. Like if this, if this was like the fifth year of this tournament, then that would be an issue to get rid of the tournament entirely. But the fact that this is year one, and who even knows, like once we get to Vegas and we get down to those final four, maybe the games will be a lot better because it's basically going to be win and you're in uh, with the way I see things. Um, but as of right now, for what I've seen through the group play and the uh, first couple of games of the knockout stage, um, the tiebreakers and the courts have to change. I think I like the competitiveness of it. I like that um, you could see the energy. Like I was watching Indiana Boston last night. You could see the Pacers bench was just so riled up and so excited. Um, so, so I liked seeing that side of things, um, in terms of the tiebreakers and the courts, that's got to change. If they're going to do this again next year, they've got to change that. Absolutely. They have to change it. And that, that would really be my only critiques of the in-season tournament. Like I'm okay with it. You know, it, it still counts towards the regular season. So it's not like, uh, it's not like it's going to change, you know, and a team's outlook on a championship or whatever. I mean, if you got a team like Indiana, who might not be that close to a, a NBA championship, you know, they can at least take pride in the uh, in-season tournament winning it all because you get half a million dollars out of it. So, I mean, props to that. I might even be rooting for them the uh, the rest of the way. I might be doing that uh, for sure. But that's just my quick thoughts on the in-season tournament. And luckily, this will all be in the past once we get to next week and they head to Vegas and it, it's all over. Um, and then we can just get back to a normal regular season of uh, NBA basketball. But I had mentioned the Celtics and the fact that they did drop that game to Indiana. They're out of the in-season tournament. We'll touch on that and much more as we hit our Let's Get Local segment of the week. This is our city. Now it's that time, folks, as we do at every week at the part of this show. It's our Let's Get Local segment of the week. And the good news for all you Boston fans is we are hitting on all four teams. We got the Patriots after another week. We got the Celtics. We got the Bruins playing. And the Red Sox are currently in winter meetings right now, sir. There's some free agent nuggets out there uh, that you got to wait and see, possibly. But, of course, we got to start with, again, the Patriots and I've ranted so much week after week about how bad they are and that Bill Belichick has ruined everything. Um, and so I'm just kind of, I'm kind of over it. I'm kind of, I'm kind of over just railing on Bill Belichick. Cause it's just, it's something new every single week. It was the quarterback uh, a week ago. Then it was, I mean, at least there was some sort of certainty. Like we kind of had the feeling that Bailey Zappi was going to get that start. And at least we knew sort of in the middle of the week. I mean, it, it took some like insider uh, reporting and Bill Belichick to say outright, yes, Bailey Zappi is our starter. But at least he had some certainty in that kind of stuff. Um, but now just the team just continues to sink and sink and sink because not only do they have another terrible loss to the Chargers, this comes after they were flexed out of Monday Night Football, the first team ever to be flexed out of Monday Night Football, which is just so embarrassing the first one ever and not even the Kansas City Chiefs could save you from getting on to prime time I mean who knows if they'll even still be on Christmas Eve uh against the Broncos I mean I would love that because I wouldn't have to work on Christmas Eve for the uh six rings postgame show but I mean just going back to where this team has been the fact that it's another ugly loss and the offense can't do absolutely nothing. Do you know that this team has only scored 13 points in their last 12 quarters? I mean, this is just so bad, not only to, you know, lose five straight, but to score that many in that amount of time. And that they're the first team to allow 10 or fewer points in three straight games and lose. I mean, come on. Like if I was a defender, I'd be like throwing my arms out. Like, can you give me a break here? I want to say a word there, but I'm not going to. I mean, the defense has been, I can't say stellar. They've been, they've been above average. You know, they've been good, you know, because yes, it's Indy, it's the Giants, 
It's the Chargers in really bad conditions. So, again, this is just like what we've seen for the defense the past couple of years. You give them a really bad quarterback, they can be a good team. Um, when you give them, you know, some elite teams, they uh, totally, they they sink. That's exactly what they do. Um, and like I talk about in our power rankings, at least Bailey Zappi did not make those really bad boneheaded mistakes like Mac Jones was. The only issues that Zappi was having was that he couldn't move the ball. It was basically like 80% of his passes were like lateral side passes rather than like trying to get the ball down the field. I mean, you had some passes that were going behind receivers or they're too low. Um, They just couldn't move the ball. And when basically the idea was do whatever you want except take a sack, Bailey Zappi took a sack. It was like it was on back to back plays, I think, in the fourth quarter. Like he took one from Mac and then he took one from Derwin James. Um, and it got him like out of field goal range, which was it was so so bad. I mean, I will say that Mac Jones is the more talented quarterback, but we've already seen that he's broken because you pulled him four different times, and ultimately his New England career is over. Um, but he's got much more talent than Bailey Zappi. The only issue that Mac has had, as I said, was that when he would get into these sort of big red zone opportunities, he would throw the ball away and he would just have a really bad interception where it was basically like the defender standing right there. And he's just like, thank you very much. I will take that and run. Um, And now even with the quarterback change, you know, your only alternative was Ramondre Stevenson running the ball really well. And that bails you out. Well, guess what? Now Ramondre Stevenson has a high ankle sprain. He's out. So now they're really screwed. Basically, they've lost arguably their top five most important players. Like Matthew Judon is gone. Christian Gonzalez is gone. Uh, Demario Douglas was becoming important. He's gone. Kendrick Bourne is gone. And now Ramondre Stevenson is gone. It's like, what more do you want on the field? What more do you want? And now it's a short week and they have to play Pittsburgh. I mean, at least Pittsburgh's going to be rolling out like Mitch Trubisky out there. So at least the defense can have another good game possibly for, for an offense that can't even put up like 17 points a game. So it's like, if you just hold them to 10, that's good. But the defense has to hold them to zero to give you any sort of chance. Um, The good news is that, you know, Hey, you're that much closer to the top pick of the draft. So, I mean, if you and the Panthers deal, if you guys have the, the same record, um, because of the strength of schedule, the Pats would have that number one overall pick. But, hey, I will be happy if they end up with a top two pick. That means they get the quarterback of their choice. It could be a Caleb Williams or Drake May. They could do whatever they want with that pick, just as long as they don't blow it. And Bill Belichick's not the guy making that pick. That's what I see. So that's how I'm looking at the season now, is how close to that number one pick can the Patriots get? I would love if they get the number one pick. Of course, I'm going to be rooting for them to win the games. But even if they lose, I'm going to be like, all right, we got another draft position. Why not? Why not? So that's where I am with the Pats. I'm just kind of over it. I'm so over it. And they haven't been officially eliminated, but I think after this week, uh, it will definitely be official. They'll be the second team in the league to uh, be officially eliminated from playoff contention. Not that they were going to make it anyway. Uh, Moving on, though, the aforementioned Celtics. And once again, the same habits over and over And over again, I don't care about the fact that they were eliminated from the tournament. You know, no one's going to be hanging a banner in the TD Garden for uh, an in-season tournament championship. No, I looked at the game more so. And it just seemed that the Pacers had more motivation, whether that was because of the tournament or not. I mean, the Celtics had 17 turnovers. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, 32 and 30. But where was everyone else? Derek White's 18, nothing. Sam Hauser, 15, nothing after that. Like, Drew Holiday had nine points. Al Horford only took like three shot attempts. Um, It's just, uh, I feel like now and again, it's going to creep up, but I just don't want it to happen as often as it has. If it happens like once every other week, then that'd be okay, which I think has happened. That has happened. You know, I've only had to see it happen three times so far this year. But, like, it, they have to get more on a consistent basis of not, you know, slowing the pace down and try to play ISO and hero ball, like, with the lead and and in these crucial spots. Like, 
I just wish that it wouldn't happen so frequently as it is. Now, Sean Sharania is reporting that the Celtics are going to be aggressive about bolstering their depth at the trade deadline. And I would be incredibly disappointed if this was not true and they weren't going to do that. Just like I was disappointed last year that Mike Muscala was the only free agent acquisition that they got, a guy who was basically out of the rotation when the playoffs began. So, uh, again, it's still kind of early for me to say, oh, the Celtics are going to win it all, or, oh, the Celtics are going to blow it every single time. I think once we get past, like, the All-Star break and we hit, like, the month of March, then we're going to start talking a little bit more seriously about them because I want them to be aggressive in the trade market. I want them to bolster their depth. How much do they have to sacrifice? I have no idea, but... The good news is they will be getting Porzingis back, so at least in the uh, the interim, like they can sort of get back on the right path uh, if Porzingis is back there and they get that full squad back to uh, where they once was. Because with that full squad and that top six, uh, you put uh, Hauser, who's been shooting the lights out, Pritchard, who seems like an energy guy, that's a really good rotation. But uh, 8, 9, 10, or uh, 9 and 10, I should say, that should be uh, what they should be focusing on. Uh, from one team that's still playing to another one, the Bruins, um, they've turned the corner a little bit. They've put their struggles away, and I never thought I'd be saying this, but Brad Martian, the captain, is able to get the spark. I didn't think I'd be saying that, you know, this soon, but Martian has been struggling, but look what happens uh, over the weekend. He gets a big-time overtime winner in Toronto the next day. Not the next game, the next day. At home, in the Garden, he gets a natural hat trick, and the Bruins win over Columbus. Now, Mike, we had Mike Milbury on uh, WEI. He makes a weekly appearance on the uh, Greg Hill Morning Show on WEI, and I believe it was uh, one of our producers, Chris Scheim, who had asked him about, you know, is the captaincy of Brad Marchand sort of getting in, into his head? And, and Mike said yes, that uh, it might have distracted him. And honestly, I do agree, because when you're – I wouldn't say thrust into this sort of new role, but uh, Martian hasn't been known to be the ultimate leader, not the number one guy. You know, he's had Chara as a captain. He's had Bergeron as a captain, and he's always either like the second or the third in line. Um, I think because he's sort of that sole guy and he's the captain, he saw the sea on his chest and uh, got a little bit nervous. Um, and he, and he tried to focus a little too much on that for the, uh, the beginning part of the year. But now it just looks like he's gotten back to to playing hockey like he normally does. Um, it's in, It was an interesting pairing with uh, Jim Montgomery, putting uh, Danton Heinen with him. Uh, he tried with uh, Matt Patra a little bit, some David Pasternak now and again. Um, as long as Montgomery doesn't go crazy with the line changes, I think he'll be okay. Um, but I think Marshawn, like, I think he's getting comfortable now in that role. I think he's just realizing that even though that A on the jersey turns to a C, like, you don't have to change. You just have to be, you know, you have to be a little bit more vocal. You're going to be the guy that everyone looks to, but you don't have to change, like, how you are on the ice. You know, you can change how you are off the ice. Um, But when you're playing in these games, you just got to keep being yourself. And I think that's what Marshawn should really be looking to do is, yes, he can be more vocal, but he can sort of be a little bit of a, you know, maybe not be like as much of an agitator or an instigator like he's been in the past, but he can get back to that that play style that he knows so well. And I think that's what's going to really help uh, the Bruins in the long term, because, yes, while this is a young team, you know, with guys like Beecher and Potra and Heinen, you still got Pasternak and Marshawn uh, and McAvoy and Coyle, you know, those guys to look forward to. So. I'm I'm still very confident in the Bruins. Uh, I don't think they're going to fall off in terms of missing the playoffs. I still think they're a playoff team. Um, you know, it's just the opponents are going to get a lot tougher. You know, it's been sort of an easy schedule to start with. But when you get to these other matchups, when like, you know, you know, you're going to be facing the Golden Knights at some point. You're going to be facing the Rangers again. Um, you're going to be facing Toronto again. Um, those are the games that I'll really be paying attention to, you know, not these, these games with Columbus or anything like that. Um, but to put a bow on this segment, winter meetings is underway and it's in Nashville, I believe. And the Red Sox were hearing reports about what they are looking for. And apparently 
Just Yashinobu. I'm going to have to memorize that name. Yamamoto, basically the Japanese pitching sensation, is among their top priorities to sign. And ultimately, I applaud to at least have them be a priority because pitching, 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 pitching is the most crucial thing. Their starters were terrible last year. So they definitely should be upgrading it. And I like that at least we're getting a semblance that Craig Breslow wants to be aggressive and get maybe the arguably the best pitcher out there. I know some might say Blake Snell might be out there, but this is this is the big prize. Yamamoto is the big prize. And even if they get him or not, I think you got to get a couple of more starters. I mean, we've heard John Heyman say Seth Lugo could be presented an offer. Um, the team might be, we've heard that they might be interested in Jordan Montgomery. Um, it would be cool to get Shohei Otani, but I won't be upset if he doesn't sign. So I like that the Sox have their priorities set in going after pitching as the priorities because I think they have a good, talented offense. They're, they're a young offense, and I think they're talented, and they probably need a little bit more time. Um, but I like that the priority, obviously, for a former pitcher is getting pitching, and not just that, starting pitching. So I like the Sox direction, and I hope it's true. I hope they can get Yamamoto because if they swing and miss on that one, that's going to be a big, big loss. Big loss without a doubt. So hoping and praying for good things from the Red Sox at the winter meetings in Nashville. Uh, But coming up next, we're going to end our show as we always do. Get a good laugh in and look at our LOL moment of the week. Let's wrap up this show the only way we know how and look at our LOL moment of the week. And this isn't any kind of play. It's not something that happened in a press conference. This is a news story, and it's a legit news story. And we need to go back to the University of Alabama because one member of the Crimson Tide decided to make a big career change. Not not a position change, not anything like that a career change. So Alabama redshirt sophomore quarterback, Tyler Buckner has decided to enter the transfer portal. Okay, that's fine. Some other team will pick him up. No, 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 no. Not the football transfer portal. The lacrosse transfer portal. That's right. A quarterback from Alabama is going to enter the lacrosse transfer portal and If he likes what he is hearing or what he's offering, he's going to go play lacrosse instead of football. I mean, oh my gosh. I mean, I've seen, you know, the most famous one that I can remember going from lacrosse to football is Chris Hogan, but I've never seen anyone go from football to lacrosse and especially with Alabama. Now I, I will understand that, you know, I think he understood his role because he was in a quarterback competition with Jalen Milrow. And obviously what Milrow has done is lead the Crimson Tide all the way to the playoff and to the Rose Bowl against Michigan. So I think he knows that, at least for the time being, he's still going to be a backup, you know, to Milrow. And because they're in the same class, they're both redshirt sophomores. You know, there's no chance of him getting in unless Milrow gets hurt. Um, But I've never seen this kind of change. I mean, I went to a Division three school and there's been... I've seen players who go, uh, who can play two sports at the same time. You know, I I remember there was this one uh, women who played basketball in the winter and then lacrosse in the spring. Um, there was someone who played football in the fall and then was a member of the track team, you know, track and field in the winter. But I've never seen a Division One sport change uh, quite like this. I mean, I, I guess he doesn't want to be part of history, um, uh, obviously, I mean, obviously it's for playing time, but if he's sort of looking at the, uh, the landscape of college football and he doesn't see any, uh, good quarterback options out there. I mean, I know Kyle McCord for Ohio state just entered the portal. Maybe he'll want to try it out there, but the fact that he's going ambitious and wanting to change to lacrosse just shows you, I guess, what he thinks of, uh, what he thinks his future in football could be, which, I guess is not long. So uh, Tyler Buckner for making the ambitious choice to enter the transfer portal as a lacrosse player after being the backup quarterback at Alabama. 
you've earned yourself into this week's LOL moment of the week. And there you go. That's it for episode 96 of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. If you're watching us on YouTube or you're listening to us on wherever you get your podcast, make sure you're following me on Twitter or X, Instagram, Facebook, at Joe Braverman PDP. You can follow this podcast as well on Instagram or Facebook. Just search Let Me Speak Podcast. Thank you, everyone, again for tuning in. We will see you next time for episode 97 of Let Me Speak. Later.